everyone. Today I'm going to talk to you about ghosts. I've touched on this subject before, but I've received enough questions in the last month about this subject that I figure it's worth a revisit. From non-physical perspective, which is eternal consciousness, source, which is that which we truly are, projects forth thought. When thought is focused on with enough intent and for a long enough duration, it becomes thought form. And when thought form is focused on with enough intent and for enough duration, it becomes physical form. Before you came into this physical life, you had a concept of who you would become. You keep adding to that concept throughout your life here. And when you die, you withdraw your consciousness from your physical body. But not only that, you withdraw your consciousness from your concept of you, which is your identity. So I'd like to think of this sort of like source energy is a snake. And the snake comes into one skin when it comes into the thought of you and comes into another skin when it comes into the physical form of you. So in death, the snake withdraws from the skin of the physical body. It also withdraws from the skin of the concept of you, your identity, which exists separate of your body. Those are left behind as the rest of the snake rejoins non-physical energy, rejoins source perspective. When you withdraw your consciousness from your physical body completely, your physical body will start to dissolve. The energy making up the materialization of your body will rejoin the united energy of the world in this case. But let's say that you withdraw your energy also from the skin of the concept of you. But let's say that there was enough energy there, enough intensity feeding that particular skin, that it could now function to a degree to the extent where it could now interact with the physical dimension. This is what's really happening when we are dealing with a ghost. When someone dies, their concept self sometimes has enough energy running through it that it can actually become a tulpa, that is, it can take on shape and sometimes still manipulate the physical dimension, which is what we see in the case of hauntings and full-blown poltergeists. Often, it only has enough energy to sort of surge into the physical dimension, which is why ghosts are often seen in a kind of a loop, meaning they can only feed one projection into the physical over and over, such as a ghost walking down a specific hallway in the same way over and over again, or appearing in one specific window, or crying in one room of the house. And the more aware we are of them, the more we feed energy to the thought form, and the stronger the thought form specifically gets, which is why one thought form may dissipate over time, but a very famous ghost may continue its interaction with the physical dimension for hundreds of years. We keep them alive with our focus. Fear is an especially strong current of desire within us. It is also a very strong point of attraction, and that strong energy feeds thought forms particularly well. 
These thought forms are not malicious. It is just that when they are looking to interact, such as when a deactivated identity of someone died with the idea that it had unfinished business, they will gravitate towards energy sources such as electric currents, cell phone currents, crystals, or people who can perceive them so as to be able to interact with the physical dimension and finish the business they are hellbent on finishing or express the message they are hellbent on expressing. Our concept selves are particularly attached to specific people, places, and things. This attachment and identification is what preserves our self-concept. Our source selves are eternal. They're not identified with specific things or specific identities, which is how you know if you're dealing with a ghost or something which is a direct projection of source energy. A direct projection of source energy is not going to have the kind of attachment that you're going to see with something like a tulpa or ghost. Our identities are temporary, so they are concerned with survival. Identifying with things is part of what keeps our identity intact. And for our identity, which is the thought of us that exists separate from our physical us, the identification continues after death. This is why ghosts often attach themselves to one place or person or thing of personal importance, such as a person's favorite spot, the spot where they died, or a child's favorite toy. And that person, place, or thing that they've attached themselves to is often the person, place, or thing that these surges into physical existence is carried out upon. This is when we say that a person, place, or object is haunted. When we die, we instantly withdraw our consciousness not only from our physical form, but also from the thought of our identity. But every thought that has ever been thought still exists, and thoughts think. You, in this physical body, are essentially a thought that thinks. And so, even though you withdraw from your own tulpa, it can continue to project forth thoughts and actions for a time. This is especially true when the person who died died with an immense desire to preserve their own identity, such as during a murder or when we have a sense of needing to be here for someone who we are leaving behind. This imbues the thought form with enough energy that even though it is no longer being fed by a stream of source consciousness, it can still exist and interact with the physical dimension. It is important to understand that this is very, very different from a guide. For this reason, I want to explain the difference between an exiting and an entering tulpa. When we're talking about an entering tulpa, we're talking about a spirit guide. It is something which is imbued with the extension of source energy consciousness behind it. So a piece of source energy is now feeding into that physical or non-physical expression, which is now surging into physical experience and interacting with the physical dimension. That's what we see with an entering tulpa. In the case of an exiting tulpa, the stream of consciousness has withdrawn from the physical body and has now withdrawn from the concept of that person which was behind the physical body. But the concept of the person was imbued with enough energy that it is now surging into the physical dimension. It is not connected to a stream of source consciousness. It is just imbued with enough energy that it is now, in and of itself, able to create enough energy to interact with the physical dimension. When you're dealing with an exiting tulpa, which is what we call a ghost, you are not dealing with the actual stream of source consciousness that created your loved one, with the person who is deceased or the thing which has died and moved on. We do not ever get stuck after we die. So what you're dealing with with an exiting tulpa is their energetic imprint, sort of the blueprint of their physical selves. And the blueprint has enough energy that it is temporarily able to project sort of a hologram 
of that blueprint into the physical dimension. You're not dealing with the actual stream of consciousness of the person that you love. We could compare ghosts to dealing with the snake skin, like I was explaining earlier. The snake has withdrawn from the skin of their concept of their temporary identity, but you are still dealing with a snake skin that has enough energy that it is interacting with you. Our concept selves, these thoughts which are no longer being fed by a stream of source consciousness, naturally dissipate over time. Which is why when you're dealing with a thought form which has been around for a long time, they start to lose a lot of their characteristics. So at first they may have been able to project themselves in a way where you actually saw the image of a person, or they are able to manipulate the electricity in a house. But over time that starts to fade, and what you start seeing is a sort of shadow, which is what we call an ectoplasm. What takes the place of a lot of their projections of their identity is basically this very slow-moving energy, which when light bounces off of it, it comes back as the color black. That's why so often people see ghosts as shadowy figures. Here's where it gets really interesting. A stream of source consciousness can reactivate any thought which it wants to reactivate. And every thought which has ever been thought exists. So there is a thought of teal, separate of the physical body of teal. And non-physical consciousness may choose to reactivate that thought in order to interact with somebody here on the planet. This is what we're often seeing when people are on their deathbeds. They often slip into this sort of mind space where they're able to see dead relatives and people who are calling them over to the other side. Now we look at them and say they're crazy, but what's actually happened, you're not dealing with a ghost. What you're dealing with is that source energy has reactivated the thought of the person who they loved and is now interacting with them through that thought because they know it will benefit the person. So grandma might feel much more comfortable when her dead husband is pulling her through the veil. She may be able to release resistance. This is an example of an entering tulpa, not a ghost, that these people who are dying are seeing. I want you to remember that outside this dimension there is no difference between imagination and the reality that you experience. Anything you imagine is actually taking place. This is why for those of you who do not yet actually see or hear tulpas, imagination is how you will begin interacting with them. Outside the physical dimension, a thought is as good as verbal communication, even better actually. So you can communicate with the tulpa by thinking. We can non-verbally communicate with them. And if you're able to communicate with them, you can cause them to alter their vibration and let go of the projection that is feeding their existence here. This is why dealing with a ghost's unfinished business is so effective when you're trying to get rid of the ghost. You can talk them into demanifestation as well. Anytime you mentally help them into the light, you're essentially helping them to demanifest. Anytime you resist a ghost, you feed its energy. A lot of times when you hear people talking about ghosts or clearing houses, they're talking about the fact that they want to get rid of the ghost, or that they stood up in the middle of a room and said, leave me alone. Any energy like that resists the ghost and therefore feeds the ghost. And so you want to do the exact opposite anytime you're working with a ghost. This resistance concept is why I personally don't think that it's ever beneficial to shield yourself when you're dealing with a haunting or a ghost. Oftentimes it is true that surrounding yourself in white light or something like this causes you to feel positive emotion, it causes you to feel good. 
And if this is the case, it's not so negative that you're shielding yourself, but it must be understood that any time that you feel the need to shield yourself or protect yourself, you have instantly created the idea that there is something that you need to be protected from. And so that means you are feeding that vibration as well. Anytime you project forward the idea that you need protection, you also project forth the idea that there is something you need to be protected from. And the universe must yield to you proof to that effect. Not because it's true, but because the universe is managed by the law of attraction. It must yield to you anything that you focus on long enough. If we are capable of thinking thoughts relative to ghosts or haunting that causes us to feel totally safe, we can never be harmed or frightened by a tulpa. This is why it is so important to do house clearings and communicate with tulpas from a very strong, very high vibrational set point, or to elicit someone who can do this for us. If you feel a lot of fear, interacting with the tulpa will not be successful. You're more likely to fuel its already bothersome antics, rather than to help dissipate it. There are no truly malicious thought forms, but the vibration which a thought form holds is always a bit of a variable. Your non-physical being, your soul self, is always in a vibration of pure positive energy. But as for our concept selves and our identities, which are much separate than our eternal selves, let's just say that it doesn't always follow that rule. Your concept of you carries with it your beliefs and the things which you identify with. A better way of saying this is that your concept self, your identity, contains the imprints of fears, beliefs, and anything that you identify with. So as you can imagine, if the identity of somebody was identified with killing other people, then the interaction you're going to have with that thought form is not going to be a particularly enjoyable experience. For hypothetical example, if someone did identify with being a serial killer, even though their soul and consciousness is purely benevolent, their tulpa could still be preoccupied with finding a victim. Or, also for hypothetical example, even though the actual soul and consciousness of a murder victim is totally free and at peace, their tulpa could still come across in a state of extreme duress. This is the reason why even if you're not afraid of ghosts in general, some ghosts make you feel warm and fuzzy, and others make you want to run for the hills. And it is not only the thought of specific beings that are kept alive and vibrating. Events can also be kept vibrating. It is no joke that a murder in a house or a suicide makes an imprint on a place. And it is possible to remove that imprint, but as long as someone associates the house with the suicide or murder, the thought is being fueled and it will eventually be fueled enough that it starts to affect the physical reality. There are countless techniques when it comes to interacting with a thought form, that which you call a ghost, or with clearing houses. My suggestion is to try any of them that are not resistant in nature. It is important to remember that anytime you are resisting or rejecting a ghost, you are also resisting and rejecting an aspect of yourself, because ghosts, tulpas, are no exception to the rule of oneness in this universe. As anyone who has been around me or lives with me can testify, my house is an absolute hotbed of paranormal activity. This is both because of the vibration I hold and because of the fact that I can actually perceive them visually and auditorily. That means that they're instantly drawn towards an interaction with me. Thus, my house is a bit of an interesting place to be staying. 
If a thought form died with a strong, intense feeling of desire for something, that vibration is going to resonate even after the person has withdrawn from the body and from the separate identity. A medium is a match to that point of desire because they can get a message across. And so that's the only reason that a low vibrational entity would be able to share the space with somebody who held a high vibration. But most often when you are dealing yourself with something like a ghost, that ghost can only be a vibrational match to where you are vibrationally. So often the people who feel the most fearful and feel the most powerless are the ones that are a match to these super low vibrational paranormal type of beings. Beings who we really traditionally associate with those scariest of hauntings. It's because the low vibrational beings are a match to the low vibration of the people who live in the areas where these ghosts remain. When I personally am working with a tulpa, no matter how discordant their energy is, I do the opposite of resist them. The way that I deal with it is that I go and I get crystal glasses. Crystal and water are both amplifiers of manifestation, meaning that if I fill up these crystal glasses, like a wine glass with water, that I'm actually enabling them to utilize the frequency of those things to help themselves manifest physically. Any of you who saw the posts on the Facebook account this week would have noticed the image that I took of the glass which had broken. Basically, I was interacting with a thought form which had enough of intense energy that when it was manifesting itself and structurizing the water in the glass, it actually caused the glass, which was sitting on the floor, to shatter, burst from the inside out. It blew the top and the bottom off, which is quite common when you're dealing with something which has enough energy that it can actually interact and start influencing the physical dimension. I will begin communicating with them, both for their benefit and for the benefit of the people who they leave messages for. A lot of times I will write down what it is that they're saying to me. For those of you that don't instantly communicate with them, you'll notice that if you get yourself into a state of openness the same way you would during meditation, these thought forms will be able to project ideas to you in your mind's eye. So even if you're not auditorily hearing it yet, you can oftentimes, if you're writing, create enough of an open channel of energy that they can dictate the thought straight to you and you can translate it through your hand. It's also important to me that I tell them who I am, or you, if you're sitting down and communicating with them, that you tell them who they are, and also express to them what situation it is that they're actually in. I will then ask them any questions that I feel compelled to ask, and most importantly, I will ask them to share with me anything that they feel the need to share. In essence, I'm working with them to find a vibration of relief. Once this occurs, I elicit the help of my personal guides to lead them into a tear or vortex in the physical reality, which will come across like pure light coming towards them. This can be visualized, you don't actually have to see it. They may or may not be willing to follow the guides into the light. Most often they are. If they are, then you have successfully helped them to demanifest. They will no longer interact with the physical dimension. If they aren't, I try to talk them through the vibration so that they are willing. But if they aren't, after a certain time, I will allow them to not be willing. This usually only happens when they're particularly attached to a person who's still alive that they feel still needs them. Interestingly enough, if they choose to stay, their vibration changes because we have added some level of awareness to the tulpa by interacting with them. 
This changes the very way that they perceive their own existence, and many of them will come back a short time later in order that we can help them to demanifest. After that, I recenter myself and I run energy. You can do this if you don't see energy just by visualizing and imagining it. I will run energy up through my physical body and also through the totality of my auric field, just to make sure that I have not maintained any imprints from the interaction. I want to maintain the vibration of only that which I am. I then make sure that I get up and throw the water that's in those crystal glasses outside into the dirt. We don't want to put it down the drain or into a garbage can or anything like this because we want to get that water outside. It contains the imprint of the energy and the intent and messages of the entity which we were dealing with. We don't want that in the house. We want to allow that to dissipate in the energy which is the most high vibration which is nature. Dirt itself holds a very high vibration and so when you dump that energy into it it's very easy for that energy to dissipate. The same way that it's very easy for the earth to consume a body which has died. Eventually it dissipates and becomes part of the whole. Sometimes I finish one of these sessions by clearing my house. This is not done from a space of resistance. It's done because it feels really, really good when the house is purified, when the house itself is allowed to come into a high vibrational set point. This is how to do it for yourself. Smudge the house with sage. Sage has long been used to clear houses. It neutralizes energies. It's a clarification herb. So buy a sage smudge stick. Open every door and window in your house. Light the sage and walk around every single room and hallway of your house even if you feel compelled the external perimeter of the house. Wave the sage stick slowly so its smoke drifts into corners, along walls, around windows, and along ceiling lines. As you do, imagine the smoke absorbing negativity. Imagine it absorbing problems from those who are in the space before you. Toxicity, or anything else you want to purify. After you've smudged the house, give yourself a sage shower. You do this by cupping your hands over the smoke and washing your face with it, and then waving that same smoke all over your body as you would in a water shower. Visualize any residual negativity sailing out of your body, out of your home, and into oblivion. Then extinguish the smoke by dipping it into a tiny bit of water. After you've done this, you can close your eyes and visualize that the entire floor level of your house has this cord of light energy that is extending all the way down to the center of the earth. This is called grounding your house. You can stay with that for a time. And then you want to visualize that in the center of your house, there is a ball of light, almost like a brilliant sun. Now, as you're breathing, focus on expanding this light ball of energy out and out and out until it circles the entire house over the roof and down under the foundation of the house. So the house is completely contained within this high vibratory bubble of light. And then, around that, I want you to imagine a four to eight foot wall of like a violet fire, or a violet light, whichever one works for you. Maintain that for a while. And then, you want to set forth two intentions. The first intention is that this light ball of energy remains intact. So it stays there even when you withdraw your focus from it. The second intention you want to set forth is that any beings of divine nature of a high vibratory rate can enter at will. When dealing with a ghost, it is important to understand 
that it is not the actual consciousness of the person that you're dealing with, because we're never stuck after we're dead. All you're dealing with is the imprint of them, the skin which they have shed, which is surging into the physical dimension. As always, you create your own reality, and you do so with your mind. So anytime you're able to mentally remedy a situation, to mentally bring something into a feeling of relief for you, you have remedied the situation. There is no exceptions to this rule. Have a good week.